0: You're going to love this. Just love it. To
1: be.
0: Happy to be stuck in the middle with you from Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM in the uh, beautiful Oregon Central Coast. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org on the Stitcher app on the TuneIn app on the iTunes where you can download us anytime. And you can give us a good review there to help other people find the broadcast. We're also heard 5 days a week on the Progressive Voices channel on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation Radio or not. Radio Free Brooklyn, and of course, on Radio Sputnik. This is your Bradcast, welcome to it. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, and muckraker from bradblog.com, joining you for another action-packed adventure straight ahead. Uh, But we will be talking uh, straight ahead with... um, with Joseph Siegelman the son of former Governor Don Siegelman the imprisoned former governor Don Siegelman Democratic governor of Alabama who uh who sits in prison serving out his six and a half year sentence for unbelievably questionable bribery charges and that's to put it lightly uh as we noted on the program yesterday uh, Siegelman's appeal to the 11th Circuit Court, to a three-judge panel, at least on the 11th Circuit uh, Court of Appeals, has now been rejected. He had uh, appealed for a new trial and or reduced sentencing. Given the fact that uh, some of the uh, years of sentencing he was given were based on uh, charges he was not found guilty of by the jury. (laughs) And yet this uh, federal judge, Mark Fuller, who has his own problems and folks who have listened to the broadcast for a while are familiar with some of those problems. I will be getting into those a little bit later in the program to remind you, if you're not familiar with those problems of the judge in the case that sent Don Siegelman to jail, uh, he, uh, Mark Fuller had uh, increased Don Siegelman's sentence based on uh, charges for which he was not even found guilty. Anyway, we will talk about all of that. We will talk about the case. We will talk about uh, the outrageous denial of uh, Governor Siegelman's appeal this week uh, with his son, Joseph Siegelman, who is now an attorney, by the way. So he'll be able to answer some questions about that case. Uh, that is ahead. But something that we have been talking about for many years at, at uh on this program, certainly, but at bradblog.com, uh, kind of reared its ugly head once again in one of the most unusual places. Uh, Going to talk about that in a moment. And, uh, and oh, yeah, if we have time, I've been trying to get to this all week, Uh, viewer mail, as they say, actually listener mail, uh, some email and some comments that we've received via email. You can email us anytime at bradcast.com. At bradblog.com. That's our uh, email address if you'd like to uh, complain or praise the show in any fashion. Always good to hear from you. And if I have time, I will read uh, some of those notes. Uh, You can also contact me via the Twitters. I am the Bradblog there. And over on Facebook, I am also the Bradblog. You should follow along. Uh, Otherwise, you're just missing out. What are you people thinking? Okay, uh anyway, I wanted to get uh to this uh <laughs> So, yes, something we've been talking about for a long time and it rears its head this week with the disclosure of some documents from the most unlikely place. Well, I'll go ahead and and tease it here. Bin Laden's bookshelf. <laughs> okay, uh, we, uh at Brad blog, if, for those who 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 know uh, my work over there over the past uh decade plus, we've been covering uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, among them, the concerns about electronic voting systems, and the concerns of the inability for the public to oversee electronic voting systems, and the ease with which uh, they can be used to defraud an election, and the uh, the the uh, amount of well, let's see how to how to put it uh, the constant malfunction of these systems during elections the 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 constant malfunction where it actually where results are reported and are found later to be completely wrong uh to be at odds with the actual results we've had cases where the computer systems actually announce the wrong winners they announce a losing candidate as a winning candidate Uh, And these are computer systems, voting systems. These are the ones that we use today. These are the ones that we will be using to determine the 2016 presidential election. They fail all the time. And those instances in which they've uh, uh, left off hundreds or thousands of votes or they've named the wrong candidate as the winner, those are just the instances that we know about. What about the instances that we don't know about where they have failed via either malfunction or malfeasance? And then comes the concern about hacking these systems. We had on just on the show just a few weeks ago, uh, Jeremy Epstein, computer scientist out of Virginia, who talked about what the state of Virginia finally found out about its voting systems—touchscreen systems in that case—that are used across the fifth of the state, uh, called the WinVote, the ABC WinVote system—and they found what we've been warning about, what we've been talking about: those very specific systems. Finally, the state of Virginia decided to look into them and found out, you know what? They are totally hackable. They can be taken over by remote control from the parking lot from as far as a half a mile away. Uh, The the passwords are hard-coded into the system. Here's one of the passwords. A-B-C-D-E. That's the password. It's hard-coded and it cannot be changed. Another password is... Password. Just put in password and you'll be able to crack the system. That's how crappy these systems are, how easily gamed they are. We have been covering it for years uh, everywhere. To to uh, I was going to say to no avail, but that's not true. They've gotten rid of a lot of these systems. The, the one in Virginia, they got they got rid of. They they've got a, an upcoming election at the beginning of June, and yet the si- state now that they finally bothered to examine these systems, found out that uh, oh, that Brad blog guy is right. Now they're decertifying them, and the counties are scrambling for a new system. That all doesn't even take into account the ease with which they are hacked by outsiders. And I have warned that it's not just insiders who have the most access to these systems, who are most easily uh, capable of flipping elections, but outsiders, foreign countries, foreign entities. Uh, Just by way of one of scores of examples, in 2009, we covered a chilling presentation given by the CIA's cybersecurity expert, a guy by the name of Steven Stigall, to a panel convened by the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, the U.S. EAC. It's a federal commission that uh, oversees our voting systems in this country or theoretically does. Uh, During a field hearing in Orlando, Florida at the time, Stigall warned that uh, he said, quote, you heard the old adage, follow the money. I follow the vote. And wherever the vote becomes an electron and touches a computer, that's an opportunity for a malicious actor potentially to make bad things happen. He said back in 2009 for several years I've worked with others in my organization, his organization is the CIA, to try and identify foreign threats. Emphasis on foreign threats to important U.S. computer systems. A few years ago, it occurred to us that that should include potential foreign threats to the computers upon which our elections in this country are increasingly dependent. That was 2009. He was warning about this. Well, okay. Funny thing, let's move the clock forward to this week and some documents were re- that were released. Remember that Osama bin Laden guy? Well, on Thursday, uh, The Hill and a bunch of others published a list of what they claimed to be the English language books that were found on bin Laden's uh, uh, bookshelf on in his compound when he was killed. Among them, uh, amusingly enough, uh, were nine eleven conspiracy theory books. That's kind of meta when you think about it. Um, but another was uh, the New York Times bestseller, uh, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, by our old friend investigative reporter Greg Pallast. Uh, so... That was that was amusing. Greg, we've had him on this show many times. He's guest blogged at the Brad blog. So all of that was amusing and interesting. But look at what else. Uh, look at what else is said to have been found on Osama bin Laden's bookshelf. A little book by the name of Black Box Voting, Ballot Tampering in the 21st Century by Bev Harris. That's right, the classic 2004 book that gave the name Black Box Voting, to so much of what we've been covering over, uh, over the past decade or more. By my colleague, Bev Harris, who has been on the show many times, who ha- I've, I've uh, relied on as a source in uh, uh, my coverage over the years at Brad Blog. She has also guest blogged at Bradblog. Her website is black box, blackboxvoting.org. I talked to her last night about this revelations, which she describes as bizarre, odd, stunning, That book, by the way, is now available for free on her website at blackboxvoting.org. You can download the, uh, uh, I think it's a PDF of the entire book now if you like. Uh, She tells me that she has uh, completely revised and updated it or is in the process of doing so and will be releasing an updated version of Black Box Voting for 2016. But Osama bin Laden, as we have warned, was reading... One of the most seminal books about hacking elections. At least reportedly uh, when he was uh, killed. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, we've said, hey, what about Al-Qaeda hacking an election? Are you worried about that? What about China hacking an Iran flipping a presidential election. As, you know, the CIA experts have warned, as the computer science experts have warned, no one's listening. Uh, Bev Harris uh, t- uh, said, by the way, that uh, she couldn't understand how Osama could have gotten his hands on a physical copy of the book because only about 800 physical copies of the book went out. It was uh, only about two and a half years after the 9-11 attacks when Osama, she said, was supposedly hiding in a cave, having dialysis or something. But then she figured out, oh, he probably downloaded the free version from her website. <laughs> um She says uh, that uh, talking about a Palast's book and others on that shelf, uh, she says that is good company to be in. She told me that it looked to me from his reading list that he was looking at how I got to clean this up for radio, how effed up the Western world really is. (laughs) Maybe so. Uh, But keep in mind those warnings from the CIA. Stephen Stigall, not Stephen Seagal, Stephen Stigall uh, told that EAC convened panel way back in 2009 that uh, all of the things that foreign actors try and do to affect the outcome of the election happened long before Election Day. He said, I've referred to a lot of hackers in this presentation. I'm not really concerned about the 18-year-old wannabes. I'm concerned about the 28- or the 38-year-old folks who have been doing this for a long time and who may be under contract for some other organization. In other words, he said, an organized, structured effort to throw an election. Now, who would possibly want to do that? Let's take a quick break. You can think about my warnings over the break. You can think about my warnings. You can do nothing about them, just like everyone else in this country. And then we will come back with the story of Don Siegelman. Speaking of warnings, uh, the imprisoned Don Siegelman and his son will join us, Joseph Siegelman, to talk about the latest in this case and the uh, denial by the 11th Circuit Court in December. governor don siegelman's appeal down in alabama that and more all straight ahead on the bradcast i'm brad friedman stay tuned one
1: two three yeah join it up
0: Your Bradcast from Sweet Home, Alabama. Well, not really from there, but that's where we are headed momentarily. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you, okay? Boy, I I just... Kind of drives me crazy going back to this story, but we must. Uh, We reported yesterday the breaking news that the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals overseeing Alabama has denied former... Democratic governor of Alabama Don Siegelman's appeal for a new case, for a reduced sentence in his case, Uh, he was, uh, to to be frank, in my opinion, shanghaied by the Bush administration uh, Department of Justice, by the prosecutors, uh, including one of the prosecutors uh, who was down in Alabama who happened to be uh, married to the top political advisor of Don Siegelman's Republican opponent, Bob Riley. That prosecutor uh, supposedly recused herself from the case, but there are questions about that recusal and how much she was actually recused from the prosecution. In the meantime, Siegelman was ultimately found found guilty uh, of uh, bribery charges, Related to uh, money that uh, he, not even he, I was going to say that he received or his campaign, not even his, him or his campaign, it was actually a fund that was set up to push for a, a new state lottery in Alabama that would uh, uh, fund underprivileged kids to go to school. And uh, a, a businessman by the name of Richard Scroogey apparently gave... Uh, a, about half a million dollars to that lottery campaign. And as prosecu- prosecutors tell the story, it was in exchange for a seat on a state hospital board, uh, a state hospital board that uh, the governor uh, says that uh, Richard Scruci never even wanted to be on. He had been appointed he had been appointed to that board by four previous governors, uh, and, and uh, Don Siegelman told me in 2012 before he went to jail for something that 113 bipartisan former state's attorney general has said was never a crime in the past. He did not receive any personal enrichment uh, from this donation. And as he told, as Don Siegelman told me in 2012, before he was sent off to the federal prison for six and a half years, uh, Scrooge never even wanted to be on this board. Do you contend to this day that it, what you did, do you believe that what you did was not a crime, that this transaction that took place was not no, a crime?
1: It, it, I offered a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, a a place on a part-time, non-paying board on which he had served through three previous governors. I was the fourth governor to appoint this guy to the same board. Uh, There was no agreement. He didn't even want to serve on the board. He asked me, Governor, do I have to? (laughs) And I said, And, you know, he was tired of being on the board. He had just resigned from the board. I recruited him to be on the board. This man served five years in prison for something he did not do.
0: So, yes, that's right. Scruci also went to jail for this. All of this made even more absurd in the uh, post-Citizens United period where, uh, you know, these billionaires and millionaires can give millions and billions to, uh, to candidates to their super PACs and so forth. We talked a little bit about this on the show yesterday. Uh, w- made even worse, at the center of this, uh, uh, this th- th- this is so bad, I, I, I can say about ten times making this even worse. Uh, at the center of this, the, uh, the star witness for the prosecution, uh, a guy by the name of Nick Bailey, who worked in uh, Siegelman's office, uh, apparently, according to uh, Siegelman and his team, this uh, this kid was was coached on exactly what to say, was told what to say. There's evidence that the prosecutors were, you know, forced him to write down his testimony over and over again. Here's a little bit about that again from 2012 when I spoke with Governor Don Siegelman before he went to jail uh, on on the uh, on the star witness in this case.
1: We have people on both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, as you pointed out, who mm-hmm. say, are saying that, you know, I was targeted. This is nothing but politics. So people will ask, well, oh, how did he get convicted of bribery? Well, I was convicted of bribery because of the sworn test the testimony of of one person, who was a felon. Whom the prosecutors went to and, and said, if you will tell us what we want to know so we can convict this guy, Sigelman, we will recommend no time in prison for you, the guy was facing forty to hundred years in jail. They offered him a deal he couldn't refuse. He testified, uh, but and he was the one
0: that- Go- governor. If I if, if I can just break in, he was the uh, the fella who was actually coached. We have evidence that he was coached by the prosecutors as to how to yeah. give his testimony. That there are notes written as I understand exactly. it, by the prosecutor in this guy's uh, in this guy's notebook, explaining to him the things that he should say during the trial, correct?
1: Exactly. <laughs> as explained in an expose by 60 Minutes mm-hmm. on February 24, 2008.
0: So, yeah, 60 Minutes has told this story. Uh, none of it has done any good. Siegelman is still serving time in prison. He has been there for years. And contrast that contrast, uh, the Department of Justice's uh, beginning under the Bush administration—actually, almost all of this was under the Bush administration—their treatment of Governor Siegelman, an incredibly popular Southern governor. There was talk that he might run for president, which is something the Republican Party did not need— a popular Southern governor running for president. And he was very popular in Alabama. He's the only man to have served in every single statewide post. Governor, lieutenant governor, treasurer, secretary of state, and so forth. That was the last thing they needed, uh, was somebody like Siegelman emerging from the South, from a deep red state like Alabama, where he was incredibly popular until this campaign moved against him. This campaign that was uh, seemingly headed up by Karl Rove, who spent many years as a a political consultant in Alabama. And, of course, at the time, Karl Rove worked with uh, that guy, uh, uh, Bob Riley, and his political uh, campaign chief, who was married to the U.S. uh, prosecutor, who was appointed by George W. Bush, At Karl Rove's urging, you all remember what he did in the U.S. uh, attorney scandal where they were willing to fire Republican-appointed U.S. attorneys for not being Republican enough. At the time in Alabama uh, that uh, all of this was going on, uh, the head of the Alabama Republican Party was a guy by the name of Mark Fuller. Mark Fuller. Was eventually appointed as a federal judge by George W. Bush in 2002, 2001, 2002. He had a lifetime, he still has, Mark Fuller has a lifetime appointment to the federal bench. Mark Fuller, at the time that, well, Mark Fuller has a longstanding grudge against Don Siegelman. The governor, the governor who came in and actually took a look at what Mark Fuller was doing when he was a state, uh, when Mark Fuller was a state prosecutor. He has a long-standing grudge. Nonetheless, Mark Fuller, Judge Mark Fuller, as the federal judge down there, was able to oversee the Mark, uh, the uh, the Don Siegelman trial. And in fact, sentenced him to six and a half years in federal prison. And in fact, the day that he sentenced him to the shock of of everyone uh, in the courtroom, he ordered the former governor shackled, handcuffed, and dragged off to jail in front of everyone, in front of his family, in front of everyone else. Uh, unlike what happens in most cases, if you look at Bob McDonnell, for example, governor in, uh, in, in Virginia, who was charged with way more, way more stuff than Don Siegelman was ever charged with and found guilty of that stuff, He was only given two years in prison, and he's not even in prison yet. He's been given all the time he wants to have his appeals and so forth before he has to go to prison. Don Siegelman was not that lucky. He was sent off to jail. Now, eventually, after, was it six or nine months in prison, uh, he was allowed to be released to deal with his appeal. Uh, But then he was, uh, that appeal was denied, and he was eventually sent back to prison, which is where Don Siegelman is now. In the meantime, that federal judge, Mark Fuller, who showed no mercy for Don Siegelman, who did not recuse himself from the case despite his long-standing grudges against the former governor, that judge, Mark Fuller, was arrested last year, last summer, in August, after his wife called 911 saying that she was being beaten By the judge, the Brad Blog has obtained uh, the actual 911 call from the judge from uh, from the Atlanta Police in Georgia. They were at the Ritz Carlton Hotel in Atlanta. When the police arrived, uh, they said the wife was uh, was was bloody and bruised, lacerations on her face. Her hair was found around the uh, room where she said she was dragged by her husband, Judge Mark Fuller. Blood was found in the bathtub. Here is a clip from that 911 call where you can hear what sounds like Kelly Fuller, Judge Fuller's wife, actually being uh, beaten by the judge.
2: What's going on? I'm just a domestic Excuse me? A domestic receipt. Okay,
1: with yourself and who else? Uh, I'm calling. I need help. What's your name? Kelly Fuller. Okay. Do you need an ambulance? Yes, yeah, please. Kelly. Kelly. Okay. She needs an ambulance. I'm sending the police. They're in a domestic fight now at the Ritz Carlton. What,
0: so that was the nine one call from Kelly Fuller, the wife of Judge Mark Fuller. The judge uh, who sent uh, Governor Siegelman off to jail, off to federal prison, the Oakdale Institution in, in uh, Louisiana, for six and a half years. Now, I should say that Mark Fuller's attorney has told, uh, has told me, uh, we reported this exclusively at bradblog.com, uh, his attorney says Kelly Fuller made up the whole thing. She was drunk. And uh, he believes she may have made uh, pretend slapping noises or something like that during that 911 call. You can listen to the entire 911 call uh, at bradblog.com. Doesn't really explain the uh, the police report and what the police reported finding when they showed up at that hotel room. In any event, what happened to Mark Fuller? Well, Mark Fuller, Judge Mark Fuller, was allowed to uh, to take a plea deal with the state court in Georgia. If he went to 24 weeks of domestic abuse counseling uh, one hour a week, then his charges would be entirely expunged from the criminal record as if they never happened. And that is exactly what happened Uh, just about a month or so ago. His charges were expunged. Mark Fuller never beat his wife, according to the uh, according to the criminal record. Uh, and that includes, by the way, uh, his 2012 divorce record, which was also sealed at the time in which his previous wife had also uh, said that he was uh, violent to both her and their children. He will, Mark Fuller will continue to serve out his uh, lifetime appointment to the federal bench, $200,000 a year, unless he's impeached by Congress. And we've talked a little bit about that and the possibility for impeachment there. There are... Uh, congressmen, both Republican and Democratic, looking at calling, definitely calling on him to resign and uh, asking for his uh, for impeachment proceedings to begin in the U.S. House, and they very well may. The U.S. House Judiciary Committee has already asked for a budget uh, to hold impeachment hearings. It's rare, but it may be done in this case. We will be staying on that part of this story as well. But back to Don Siegelman, because that was the judge who sentenced Don Siegelman. Don Siegelman has been trying to get a new trial based on really all of the above, and particularly the initial U.S. attorney uh, who, who claimed to have recused herself from the case, but who knows, may have been working on the case uh, according to a certain evidence that has been uh, unearthed. Nonetheless, the 11th Circuit Court, the same one that is looking at what Mark Fuller did, uh, took a look at what uh, Siegelman's appeal was. And that appeal, as I said, was turned down this week by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeal to talk about all of the above (laughs) and wherever else uh, to untangle this mess The son of Alabama's very questionably convicted former Governor Don Siegelman joins us now. Joseph Siegelman, who himself graduated from the University of Alabama Law School back in 2013. He has been actively involved in the case for several years now, and he joins us to hopefully make sense of all of this. Joseph Siegelman, sir, welcome back to the broadcast.
2: Thank you for having me, Brad. I will will do my best to help make sense of it, though I'm (laughs) not sure if I've made sense of it myself. So uh, we'll, just, we'll see what I can do. All
0: right. Well, uh, let's start then uh, with, with something as uh, hopefully as simple as possible. What, what, what was it that your father was seeking in this appeal that was turned down yesterday, uh, or not yesterday, a day or two ago now, by the, uh, by the 11th Circuit Court? What was his hope, and uh, wh- what was the evidence he presented to the court in that regard?
2: So there were, there were two main issues on appeal, uh, the first issue related to the non-recusal of the U.S. attorney whose office prosecuted this case. I, I know you've touched on it before. Mm-hmm. It, her name was Laura Canary. That's the U.S. attorney for the Middle District of Alabama where this case was prosecuted. Her husband was running the campaign of my dad's opponent as her office brought these charges against my dad. hmm before the prosecution was actually brought, she self-proclaimed to have recused herself from the case. And basically, just what that means is that there's a, a Chinese wall, so to speak, uh, in between her and the prosecution team. There can't be any communication, any uh, any exchange of trial strategy. We learned after my dad was convicted that she actually did play a role in the prosecution. In fact... Uh, That matter is undisputed. We know that she violated her recusal. The only question was to what extent and whether my dad was prejudiced by her continued involvement. And we argued that... How do we uh, we know, uh,
0: Joseph, how do we know that she was involved in the case? What is the evidence we have so far for that?
2: Well, she did a number of things. Uh, First off, she was briefed on a daily basis. By a subordinate as to everything that was going on in the case, mm-hmm. she did try to advance trial strategy to the the prosecution team, those actually trying the case. She recommended what's called a gag order to try to prevent my dad from discussing the political motivations behind the case in the media. And the prosecution team actually did seek uh, a mo- in, through a motion in limine. What would what would have the same effect as a gag order, and uh, we argued that that was evidence of actual prejudice. But she did a number of things as well. She uh, threw parties uh, at her home when the uh, when the trial team hit certain landmarks in the case. She would celebrate the successes, and uh, she also controlled the the finances of the office. She controlled the personnel of the office, and she devoted the entirety of her office's resources to this case she uh she made very clear that this was a priority that those involved on the case uh, you know that this was very important to her and mm-hmm. to the office and the subordinate prosecutors the assistant u s attorneys acquiesced to uh to her suggestions and demands and um the eleventh circuit uh either didn't see it that way or or just decided not to take any action that could uh, ultimately reveal some of this additional misconduct uh, by Lura Canary. And, and there's more than that. Uh, basically, all we know, most of what we know, came from a whistleblower within the Middle District of Alabama. She was a paralegal for this prosecution team, and she learned of all of this misconduct and came forward, blew the whistle on the prosecution team. And uh, basically all the information we have came from her, which was substantial. Uh, But what we were seeking was uh, either a new trial based Mm -hmm. on the continued involvement of this interested prosecutor, to say the least, uh, or in the alternative for us to have discovery to determine the full extent of her continued involvement. Uh, As I said before, we know that she remained involved. We just don't have all of that information. We only have what this whistleblower paralegal provided to us. And uh, if what we have so far is any indication of what else is out there, uh, it is very substantial. But and you were the seeking. Said
0: that, yeah, go ahead, please.
2: The 11th Circuit said that we couldn't have access to it. And that, that was the first issue that was denied by the 11th
0: Circuit. And access to that discovery. In other words, you were seeking the documents uh, from the Department of Justice concerning this case to try to figure out exactly what her involvement was, email, and so forth. Is that what, what you guys were hoping to obtain via discovery that has now been turned down?
2: That is exactly right. Probably primarily documentary evidence, such as the emails and any other potential correspondence between her and the prosecution team, and her and Maine Justice in D.C. regarding this specific case. But also through that discovery, we would we were seeking and we're hoping to have the ability to question Ms. Canary and question the individual members of the prosecution team and, and just ask them under oath. You know, did you ever speak to Ms. Canary? Your supervisor about this case, under any circumstances, in any under any occasion, and uh, you know what did those conversations entail? Uh, and we won't have the opportunity to do any of that.
0: Alabama journalist Roger Schuler, who's been following this case for for quite a long time, he writes under the uh, at the blog Legal Schnauzer. He writes that the um, that the decision at the Eleventh Circuit Court was based on uh, the uh, district court judge Cootie. Uh, who is noted for denying Siegelman's Scry discovery requ- requests on the Laura, Laura canary issue after claiming to have reviewed all relevant documents himself in camera, which means uh, privately in his own chambers and announcing that they provided no helpful evidence for the defendants. Unfortunately, says Schuler, court documents show that Coody didn't even order the canary documents from the DOJ which total some 1,000 pages so he could not have possibly, Reviewed, him, reviewed them, says uh, Shuler. Is, uh, is, is that a, a correct assertion by uh, uh, Roger Shuler?
2: To my knowledge, yes. And he, he makes a very important point, and this was a point we made in, uh, in the, our briefs to the 11th Circuit. Uh, Judge Cootie wanted documents, requested documents, and ordered the, the retrieval of documents related to the government's key witness. And the potential coaching of that witness, which is something that 60 Minutes uh, discussed at length in, in their expose on the case, and has been um, been sort of uh, revealed already. Uh, but he did. But Judge Cootie did not get, did not order or request documents related to Canary's continued involvement. Uh, there may have been some documents that happened to relate to that in in what he reviewed, but. Uh, yes, he didn't. He did not get those documents because he didn't ask for them. That, that was not the subject of that inquiry, uh, and the documents were re- reviewed in camera by him. And yet, uh, there's never been discovery of those documents.
0: And yet, the Eleventh Circuit Court uh, denied your. Uh, well, you, your attempt to be able to do that discovery. Uh, you, you said, and I know our time is short here, uh, Joseph Siegelman, uh, you said th- there was a, uh, a second element to your, to your father's appeal that was, was turned down, and I had cut you off as we got uh, sidetracked on the, uh, the U.S. prosecutor Laura Canary issue. What, what is that second issue you were seeking?
2: You're, you're absolutely fine, Brad. And, and one thing about this case is the issues are, are seemingly innumerable. There, there are a ton of them. Uh, Only two were appealed uh, because we wanted to narrow the focus to these two issues. The first was the Canary issue, the continued involvement of of an interested prosecutor. And the other issue was sentencing. Uh, Judge Fuller, who you've discussed already, uh, more than tripled my dad's sentence based on conduct for which he was acquitted. So the jury exonerated my dad on more than 90% of the charges brought against them. The charge that, that stuck is the one that, that you referenced already, mm-hmm. where a, an Alabama businessman contributed to the, Al, to the Alabama lottery campaign, mm-hmm. which would have sent underprivileged children to college tuition-free. Uh, there were other charges that were brought, and the jury, they were all baseless, and the jury acquitted of all those. Well, uh, Judge Fuller, uh, as he is permitted to do uh, under the law in rare exceptional circumstances, can pretend as if the jury did not acquit my dad of those additional charges and can sentence my dad as though he had been convicted of all of those charges so uh and that's essentially what he did, but he did not follow uh basically uh there's some nuances in the law, but surprisingly, a judge is actually allowed to do that if certain criteria is met. In this case, the criteria simply wasn't met, and the judge erroneously more than tripled my dad's sentence. Based on conduct, my dad was exonerated.
0: Now, uh, uh, a three-judge panel on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals uh, disagrees with that, apparently, because uh, they have rejected this appeal. Now, uh, you and and your father could uh, uh, seek... Uh, an on-bank hearing, I-, I guess, of the 11th Circuit uh, Court, which is a-, a hearing with the full panel of the 11th Circuit. Uh, and or they could then seek a review from the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, and then, uh, you know, th- there's the question of a presidential pardon in all of this. Do you guys uh, intend uh, to seek an on-bank hearing from the 11th Circuit Court on behalf of the uh, uh, Governor Siegelman? You're dead.
2: That's a good question, Brad, and it's a question I don't know the answer to. I I have not yet Mm -hmm. had the opportunity to discuss this opinion with his legal counsel who actually handled this appeal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've spoken to my dad only briefly. As as I think you know, he's nine hours away from where my family, Mm -hmm. uh, his family, lives, and uh, his communication is very limited, so we've only been able to speak briefly. I honestly don't know uh, if we will continue pursuing this appeal. Obviously, we feel very strongly in its merit, but at this point it's going to be a strategic decision of what is most likely to get him out of prison the quickest. Is it going to be uh, pursuit of presidential clemency? Is it going to be uh, a continued appeal uh, of these two issues, either through en banc or the Supreme Court or both? Uh, I just I simply, we haven't. Yet, had the opportunity to let all of this digest and sink in yet, and uh, we will we will be assessing that in the coming days uh, as to what what potential avenue of recourse might actually lead to correcting this whole injustice.
0: You know, uh, Joseph Siegelman. Whenever I cover this case uh, at Bradblog.com or on the air on the broadcast, uh, people say, "What the hell is going on? Why hasn't?" Uh, Barack Obama granted clemency or a pardon in this case, in the case of Governor Don Siegelman. When there is so much wrong with this, uh, with this case, just on its face, uh, do you have any indication from the president, from the White House, from the Department of the people who look at pardons and clemency? Do you have any indication? Where they are, why they have not taken action at this time, uh, or is this a case of you have not yet asked them for action because you're trying to exhaust all of your uh, le- le- uh, legal appeals first,
2: Brad? That's that's a loaded question, and <laughs> I, I don't I don't know uh, I don't know the president's position on this case. I would be very surprised if he didn't already know about it. Uh, one of the, the parts of this that's been so incredibly frustrating is this case was built off of the bush administration Karl Rove, and his department of justice We have been so disappointed in the fact that we have a democratic president and a new department of justice uh... new new attorneys general uh... who haven't yet at least uh, ordered a review of this case and uh... one of the other most frustrating aspects of it is this is a case where reasonable people cannot disagree if if you are an objective, intelligent, reasonable person, you cannot find any other any other uh, answer except that this was wrong and this is an injustice. If you if you think that you either don't have all the facts, or you have you you've been you've been given you've been given misinformation, or you're you're simply not objective. You're somebody who wants to see uh, this remain concealed and hidden from the public view, and and that's what's so aggravating is we really i don't think have yet even had the opportunity to, to provide the full extent of the facts of this case which as you know and as many people already know uh, are infuriating because this is something that shouldn't happen in america and it and it's something that continues to threaten each and every one of us. if a sitting governor can be unseated and prosecuted and imprisoned for something that he did not do and for something that had not even been considered a crime in this country until he was convicted of it. You know What chance do any one of us have against such a force in the future unless it is rectified, unless some of these people are ultimately held accountable? And, and that is uh, a continuing uh, troubling aspect of this case that uh, hopefully eventually gets, gets cured because of the, um, the ongoing uh, threat that it, it, it poses to each and every one of us.
0: I promise to let you go in uh, one more minute here, Joseph. Uh, what what can folks do to uh, well not just educate themselves on this case, but uh, help out your work and your dad's uh, efforts while he's in prison? Uh, is is the best place to send them uh, free dash don dot org, uh, or is there uh, petitions they should sign? What, what would you uh, recommend folks do now to to help you out here?
2: That's exactly right. Uh, the best thing for people to do for your listeners. To do is to, to go to free-don.org. There is a petition that my sister Dana set up. Uh, please sign the petition. And uh, this is this is a battle that is going to be ongoing and is going to continue until it's fixed because uh, we're determined to to fix it for the reasons that that I gave. And, and we need we need uh, we need everyone to be aware that it's it's important to people. It's not just an issue. For my family and injustice to us and to my dad, it, it's not just uh, within the the state of Alabama. This is a a national concern to the well-being of our democracy, and um, and, and that's the best place to start. Is at free dash don dot org. There's a wealth of information. Please sign the petition and um, and and thank you so much for for spreading awareness of this case because uh, it is incredibly important and it's something that needs to be fixed.
0: Joseph Siegelman, uh, son of former Governor Don Siegelman of Alabama, the imprisoned Don Siegelman now for about four years. I think he will not be released unless something changes until uh, 2017. Joseph, always great to talk to you, even under, uh, frankly, crappy circumstances here. But I, I hope you'll uh, stay in touch as the case moves forward and we can uh Try to figure this out and try to get some uh, some justice back in this case. Thank you, Joseph, for your time. greatly appreciated
2: absolutely. thank you so much for having me, Brad.
1: you
0: bet okay I'll tell you boy uh, joseph's right if that can happen to his father, the most powerful man for a while in Alabama under a uh, under a republican federal government, uh, imagine what can happen to you. And you've got a a Democratic administration now who is just not taking action. Why? I don't know. Are they afraid of making it look like they're doing favors for Democrats? Uh, You know, it, it continues to be a maddening mystery. And uh, it drives me crazy to have to cover it, as I said. But it's got to be covered because ain't nobody else. Co- well, ain't uh, nobody in the mainstream media in any event covering it. So I guess once again, it falls to us. OK, more broadcast straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Please stay tuned. He said- No, nothing in this world for free. You know, Welcome back to the broadcast Brad Friedman of bradblog.com at your service. Over the uh, over the break here, uh, some breaking news in, we were talking a few days ago on this very broadcast about some new election laws, one in particular up in Maryland. Where the uh, legislature up there, the Democratic uh, legislature, passed a, a new law that would have allowed anywhere from forty to 60,000 people uh, who have uh, been uh, felons, who are now out of jail, who have served their time in prison, it would have restored their voting rights. That sounds reasonable. That sounds more than reasonable. Frankly, when they're in jail, they should uh, still be allowed to vote because they're uh, as affected or more so than anybody by our uh, by our our government, our elected officials. Nonetheless, when they're out, uh, as even Republican Rand Paul has been running around the country arguing uh, they should be allowed to vote. Well, that's exactly what the uh, what the legislature in uh, in Maryland asked for. But Republican Governor Larry Hogan has now vetoed that bill. So those people who have served their time in prison, they don't get to participate in their own society because Republican Governor Larry Hogan by himself has decided, nope, they don't get to vote. They don't get to be a part of their system at all okay that's uh, that's that breaking news for the moment. We've got just a few more uh, minutes here and some stuff I wanted to get uh, cleared off the desk before we head into a holiday weekend uh, some uh, some listener mail from uh, someone identified as starhelix writes to me bradcast at bradblog.com is our email address. He says, hey Brad, you forgot one very important. Point about the big lie the Bush mob told about Saddam Hussein having nuclear weapons. The UN was doing inspections in Iraq, which required a few weeks to complete. This was back before the Iraq War. They asked Dunce W to give them the additional time to complete their findings before unleashing an invasion and occupation of Iraq. W denied this request, then rushed our nation into an entirely preventable conflict, which caused the deaths of thousands of American soldiers. We wasted several trillion dollars, which was basically stolen by the military-industrial-media-incarceration complex. Further, W went to war over the vigorous objections of millions around the world who marched in protest against this evil folly. In short, the Bush mob are a bunch of war criminals, and they should be brought up on charges of treason. Well, I agree with uh, pretty much all of that, and actually— uh, didn't forget that point at all. We had mentioned it, I think on the day before the show, the day before it's hard. There's a lot of Bush lies that we had to cover uh as the Jeb Bush era has begun. And as they have tried to rewrite uh, so much of what happened uh in, in the Iraq conflict, the Iraq scam for which we are still paying dearly in both blood and treasure, unfortunately. So, uh, Thank you for that uh, note, Franklin, but we did cover it, but it can't be covered enough, apparently, because the mainstream media just doesn't like to cover it, which is how they've gotten away with this uh, with this lie for so long. And one of the reasons we talked about it was because it still matters since there is still no accountability for these war criminals and for their criminal acts, including the act of torture. Which why it was seemingly so easy when we talked about a few days ago for this man to be charged uh, for waterboarding his five year old up in Michigan, and as I read the article, uh, there was uh, well two points about it. Uh, this wasn't the only uh, case in which this happened. This uh, one article this week referred back to another case: a pediatrician who got time in jail. For waterboarding, I guess if if you're a, a regular person and you waterboard someone, you go to jail for it. But if you're a top official in our government, that's just fine. But the man uh, charged this week in uh, in this story, the the NBC uh, covered it and and their report they referred to a tortuous interrogation technique, and I had trouble. I had trouble even pronouncing that word. I thought it should have been torturous, but I thought they must have had this uh, printed incorrectly because it was tortuous. Uh, so I couldn't say it. But I, but I said, oh, you know, hey, at least they mentioned torture. Well, you know what? Um, because I compared it to the other to 2014 article about the the pediatrician who's in jail who's appealing his uh, time in jail for waterboarding his stepdaughter. They didn't even mention the word torture. They did this whole article about waterboarding. They, there was no word about torture. They said uh, that it is uh, waterboarding is typically associated with the interrogation of terrorism suspects. Didn't use the word torture. Anyway, in this newer article, at least they sort of used it, but I couldn't pronounce it. It's tortuous and uh, Nicole Sandler, our friend uh, who runs uh, the affiliate, uh, broadcast affiliate, radioornot.com, she tweeted the next day to say, uh, Tortuous actually is a word. It's an adjective and it means uh, full of twists and turns. For example, the root is remote and tortuous. Well, who knew? You it learned- doesn't even have anything to do with torture. What do you know? We learned something new with the broadcast. Thanks, Nicole. Yeah, well, so then I looked up torturous which means uh characterized by involving or causing excruciating pain or suffering that's torturous what nbc said they didn't even use torture they called it tortuous that's how out of touch the mainstream media seems to be with even the concept of torture just amazing. Uh, thank you, Nicole. And by the way, you should listen to her excellent show over at RadioOrNot.com. It's live every uh, every morning, I think, for two hours, and then she uh, rotates it with the Bradcast, so you can hear us over there as well. Anyway, okay. Uh, I think that's enough uh, business off my desk for this week. If you have any thoughts, you can, of course, uh, reach me at the uh, email address, bradcast at bradblog.com. Otherwise, I hope you will join us for the next thrilling adventure of the Bradcast. Until then, you can find me, as always, on the Facebook and the Twitters at the Bradblog, and, of course, at BradBlog.com. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, and to Joseph Siegelman, my guest today. We'll see you soon. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.